we have seen the emergence of what I call modern Internet of Things. It is rich in data. It can bring in location. It's really the connectivity piece and the data aggregation piece that is usually missing in the infrastructure right now in the market. If you have a large farm, you know, the wireless connectivity is not going to carry out. This is the Industrial IoT Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. Network looks stable. Let's connect. Welcome to MarketScale IoT. I'm your host, Sean Heath. You know, it seems that as the Internet of Things grows, it has a tendency to, to present the personality of getting smaller that the component pieces of the overall system get smaller and smaller. But that's not necessarily the only direction of growth in the industry because the problems that we can find solutions to are larger and larger. There's an immense amount of scalability in the Internet of Things, but there's a weird set of problems and challenges that come along with that. Somebody who, who gets to deal with those problems and challenges on a daily basis is my guest today, and that is Milan Kosic. He's the director of Proxy, the global product strategy and design group for Hexagon Manufacturing Intelligence. Milan, how are you today? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. You know, I'm always excited to talk about the Internet of Things because it seems to be something that has infinite scalability in both directions it can get super small down to i don't know at some point i would imagine we get down to the quantum level but it can also expand from a solution standpoint to a really macro um, situation i'm curious as someone who really has to keep your head on a swivel looking in both directions where's your biggest challenge today is it is it breaking things down into smaller and smaller pieces or is it putting all the pieces together to solve larger and larger issues uh, it's a good question because we, we want to solve everything so obviously we can start from everywhere but um i'm a more of a I, I i've been kind of dealing with iot probably for six years we did some stuff originally with salesforce and then with a bunch of stuff internally and now we're building our own products but any organization like like Hexagon, which is obviously large in size and breadth and scope of things that we do, we have this tendency to want to do everything. You know, it's the boil the ocean approach, which is sometimes like everything is a challenge. You want to really approach it uh, the, the larger way. And I think if you look across the industry, some of the people in our domain that tend to do the stuff, we are very good at telling the big picture. But what I have found is traveling, because part of my job is to bring the customer insight to kind of information. And when you actually start talking to people, it's kind of, there's this expression that I saw that says, uh, the next big thing will be a lot of little things. And I kind of subscribe to that piece that uh, a lot of these companies we tend to do in manufacturing have a lot of little problems. And if you help them fix a lot of little problems, inevitably, you will help them fix bigger problems. So the, the challenge right now comes, and I was just recently at a customer down in Texas who when I asked them, okay, so you guys want to collect all this data, what are you guys trying to solve? They had this kind of blank look on their faces and I said, well, we don't know, we just want to connect stuff. So I think if you look at, and if, you, if you're kind of going where I'm going is I'm trying to say is that we we want to we have this big promise of IoT. It's going to change the world. It's make us smarter. It will fix everything or ill in the in the world. Like every new technology uh, that that happens, 
But in essence, some people, A, sometimes don't know what they're trying to solve, and B, it's easier to go in smaller chunks of things so that you can address all the things that are associated with that and then get to the bigger picture. Now, you have a, a focus recently in your career on, on the connected smart factory. Mm-hmm. And when you run into a customer that says, yeah, we want to collect all this data, as you just mentioned, and they don't necessarily know what they want to do with the data. They just feel like, oh, we have to keep up with company X, Y, and Z because we know they're collecting data, so we need to collect this data. When you go into these brainstorming sessions, when you when you sit down and really start to talk to these customers – are there times when you solve problems that they didn't even know they had? Uh, I mean, probably sometimes, yes. I think it's more that we provide a different viewpoint into the problems they have. Because I think a lot of places when you kind of work in the environment you're in, you're within the four walls, and sometimes the, the sight of what goes on is very, very narrowly focused, and you're so granular in what you're trying to do. And when we get involved with them, we sometimes maybe bring experience from other places that might you know, shed light on what they're trying to do. And I think that is what typically helps organizations like that. Now, we also serve large organizations, which is where we where it's the sexy stuff. Everybody wants to go to really big companies and solve big problems. But majority of our user base is actually medium to small size businesses. And there's, there's a different set of problems in those organizations, which is they usually have no resources to spend time on trying to analyze all those kinds of things. So they want us to give kind of out-of-the-box tools that do those things and help them solve the problems they never knew they had. So you have a kind of like a, a let's say, duality of users in a, in a manufacturing and a smart factory business, which is, you know, the dominant ones that tend to drive the business. And then you have the smaller and the medium-sized businesses that are innovative in their own place, but have the lack of money and resources to essentially implement stuff. So it's a different set of problems sometimes you run into. Does the size of a company directly affect the way they respond to you in your role as a disruptor? Do you, do you find one size company has a tendency to have the mindset that's more acceptive of your of your sort of disruptive approach? I think larger I think larger and small and medium sized companies are both accepting, but they're accepting in the different ways, meaning that the larger companies have more limitations placed on them for obvious reasons. They have much larger consequences if something goes wrong. They have much larger supply chains, much larger operations. So they essentially both want to have some sort of a disruptive you know, influence to help them be better what it is. But the let's say the cautiousness is much more on a larger size than it is on a smaller and medium-sized companies because, you know, in the smaller and medium-sized companies, the consequence of potentially, you know, Doing something wrong, which we all do sometimes, is not necessarily as huge as if something happens in a large organization. But not to not to say that it's drastically different. It also depends on the culture of the organization. I think it's that's that's even more influential sometimes in this day. And you, you you've probably interviewed people about digital transformation and all this other stuff. And digital transformation, which is what everybody says they want to do, is really a cultural change. It's not a technology thing. It's a more of how you want to do business and how you want to get ahead in, in the future. And if companies are more of the, let's call it, let's call it risk-taking, more open culture, they tend to embrace stuff like this more than anybody else, regardless of the size. 
Let's take a moment and talk about that digital yeah. transformation because that's that's in essence is a new language that a, a corporation has to learn, isn't it? Correct. And we, so Hexagon, a, a group of us, let's say 20 of us last year, uh, went on this, let's call it digital transformation journey. We were became the digital ambassadors within the organization. And we, with a, with a combination of a consulting company out of Germany, visited, let's say, 15 different companies around the world, see, saw how they do things, and then tried to kind of run a design ex- thinking exercise within the organization, how we can change stuff. And and I think the focus on digital transformation is something gets misconstrued. Usually people try to do bigger things, which means they, I think, what was it, like 80% of digital transformation efforts fail right now in the world. And because I think they focus on the digital and the transformation and the technology part, and then they forget if you don't switch the culture of the org to approach the problems in a different way, to essentially switch to, let's say, customer-led innovation and customer-led companies, what ends up happening is that you just say a lot of things and then you agree and you high-five each other and then five years later, nothing has changed because ultimately the organization and the core of it stayed the same. So to me, the digital transformation is transforming organizations that, that existed for 30, 40, 50, 100 years and trying to adjust them into being something else. And I think like um, a, a good ex- good modern example is, is, is stuff like Microsoft. You know, Microsoft... Ten years ago, everyone was like, oh, has been, they're gone, you know, who cares? And then Satya Nadella came in and changed, not necessarily who they are, but changed the culture of how they do things, you know, eliminated things that are kind of not exciting and boring and brought this whole new aspect to the organization. And you can say that technically Microsoft, which was a digital company, just went through a digital transformation and became somebody else. You know, that's an interesting example. You can, There are... Uh, plenty of companies that don't do today what they originally started out doing. Exactly. Nintendo is a perfect example. Exactly. They were a playing card company, I think, <laughs> yeah. at first. I think they had those like pinball machines and a bunch of other things. That's what they did originally. So I, I, I'm really interested in, you talk about the, the cultural transformation. I'm interested, just, I want to talk briefly about the transformation from within Hexagon Manufacturing Intelligence, mm-hmm. because a, a lot of people think, well, you know, we bring in consultants or we bring in a company such as yours, and they have all the answers and they know everything and it's a one-stop shop. They'll be able to fix everything. But you take pride in the fact that you guys are constantly learning. You don't know everything, but you kind of have an idea of what you don't know, and that helps inform the research and the and the work that you do to improve your knowledge base that can in turn help your customers. Talk to me about how much you enjoy the internal challenge of growing and learning as a company. Well, as a as a company, you've you obviously uh, for listeners who are not familiar, Hexagon has grown through acquisition over the last 18 years, and I think we have acquired, you know, it changes every day, let's say 150 companies since 2001. And part of that is to acquire knowledge and technology and skill set that we don't necessarily possess to try to obviously make one plus one being equal three over time as, as we integrate technologies. But the other part of the thing has to be also, you know, we, we, we have done a, a good job in realizing what is the things that we don't know what are the things we currently don't possess and utilize tools from technology standpoint that rather than build, we just tend to combine or partner or use that while we either just go with it or we kind of find a better way to, to solve the exact problem. So I think the, the culture in organization is in a sense, you know, 
exploratory, innovative. We always try to obviously keep the customer as the number one at the forefront of what we try to do. But it's also the realization of being slightly humble that is no organization in the world can solve every, you know, every world problem. So knowing that and really focusing kind of what we started this with, which is running these workshops with customers to help them figure out what is it that we're trying to solve. And if you focus on a problem and you focus where do you want to keep this as a solution, technology becomes, in my opinion, slightly secondary. Because I think, I don't know if in your conversations, but I think technology at this day and age can pretty much do anything. I don't th technology is, is just a byproduct, but technology is not the solution. It's the... It's what is going to make the life of a customer get to the place where they're trying to go to is the important piece. And then you take the technology pieces and fit. Don't lead with the technology because technology on its own doesn't do anything. So. Yeah, nobody is going to be able to benefit from the technology if they don't learn how to use it. I would imagine education is something you really focus on just as a, as a constant factor. True. And we, we actually... We're one of the pioneers, in, in at least in our field, of introducing some learning tools for our customers themselves, obviously, because the idea is to continue the engagement. Once customers uh, learn our tools, the idea is to allow them to, over time, be able to essentially continue uh, you know, enhancing knowledge or coming back if they forgot something and everything else. In the same sense, we ourselves, especially the work in the field and the proxy group that I, I kind of run, the, the, the core existence is the curiosity mindset and, and learning. Because I was at um, South by Southwest a couple of years ago, and there was a, a talk about code and language and technology and programming and everything else. And the person who was talking essentially said, the, the millennials who are now entering the workforce, or the, what did I, Gen Z now? I always forget what the name is now. And um, I think the idea is that they're entering the life of constant learning that the world changes so quickly now that the traditional methodology, you go to college, you learn something, then you apply that skill set and slightly get better over the next you know, 40 years before you retire, is essentially so far gone that anything that enables learning in any organization that's easily, easily adaptable to learning are the ones that will succeed. Obviously, that puts a lot of pressure on everybody because you know constantly learning is not everybody's cup of tea. Not everybody enjoys that. So those are the kind of things, the challenges you run into these days. There is a bit of pressure that comes with that that fear of missing out, right? You you think, oh, I need to learn this next thing. You're in a constant state of learning, which is acquisition of knowledge is good, but having anxiety that you might be missing a piece of knowledge is not so good. I'm really curious because as we've entered in this constant state of learning, I think we have a tendency as humans, you know, we have a tendency to look for patterns and everything. But I think in this in this heightened state of educational acquisition, I think we have a tendency to maybe create a trend that's not a real trend. How do you help customers focus on separating out something that is an actual trend that's viable versus maybe just a false positive? You know, I, we, I literally today had a discussion, which is the trend versus hype phenomenon in, in our lives, which is essentially what you just asked me. So the idea looking as to how you help uh, not only customers, but how do we help ourselves figure out where do we need to go and, and what things need to be done. And I think you, you asked, mentioned one thing, you know, everybody says blockchain. If there's like 
in a room, if you put 20 people and ask blockchain, if half of a person can actually explain as to what that is, you know, there will be a success. But everybody keeps saying it, it's a big promise and everything else. To me, that's one of those false positives because it's not applicable across the board. The non-false positives are obviously stuff like artificial intelligence, or do we kind of looked at that as more as augmented intelligence. In manufacturing, it's not the point of replacing people, it's a point of augmenting people to do a better job. So sometimes the way we look at the hype versus trend is to actually take that trend, look at the problems we are trying to solve with customers, and see how, how that does actually apply to what we do. And rather than just you know going along the hype curve and trying to figure stuff out, you you go and take kind of a you know a pause, separate it out, and see what does it truly do to enhance whatever we're trying to provide to the customers versus just trying to chase it all the time. Because if you chase it all the time, then nobody's going to get anything from us. So some things you just choose. I'm not going to worry about this for now because it's way too early, or there's no promise, or nobody really gets it, and we'll focus on stuff that we actually have an applicable um, um, case to do. One thing that I find fascinating about technology, just as a general concept, is scalability. The ability to scale up to handle large uh, deployments and the ability to scale down to smaller, more personalized environments. What is something that people would be surprised to learn about your day-to-day experience with scalability? Well, um, it's a good question. Does the scale in our, you know, we always joke around, we just built a device um, four years ago, and in our world, for what we deliver, large scale is delivering four or five thousand of something, not like Apple, you know, 80 million of a phone. But even that in itself, for our scale, it requires an effort and requires a way to, to do things. Um, as far as from, from our end, there's two approaches. We manufacture both hardware and software. The scalability of hardware is one thing, which is something you have to deploy quickly. And because it's hardware, it has buttons, it has a fit, it has a form, and people have to be able to accept it quickly and learn how to use it um, easily. And we should build a, we build a jog box that you do, do CMMs. There's no text on it. It's mostly graphics. Everybody loves it, you know, all those kinds of things. So that was a, a pure, let's say, design thinking exercise to scale something that is very hard sometimes to accept. On a software side of things, um, some of these smart factory initiatives that we now are currently running are there to address both parts of the, the let's call it the, the scale of the customers, which is we have built devices that can be deployed easily by a customer that essentially measure environment around the machine, which they're called Pulse. But those devices can then be deployed all over each entity and then absorbed into Smart Factory to essentially give a better picture with some of the other tools we use um, to give a, let's call it a more holistic picture about what's happening in the facility. So it's no different, you know, which is kind of, I guess, when we started this whole conversation, which is the whole point of Internet of Things, which is you can have a device that says something or you can have a fleet of things that are making a picture much more complete and much more thorough depending on the need. And one thing that I have found that we have found is that that is much harder to do than to plan. So once you actually have a plan and when you want to implement it, it becomes a much harder challenge in a big scheme of things, especially in manufacturing environments. You know, this is not a consumer market where a million of something is something to do in manufacturing environments, as you know. Uh, there's all kinds of networking, IT, and all kinds of issues that that potentially hinder uh, some ability to scale. 
as a final question that just popped into my head, so you work primarily with customers who are the backbone of the economy, mm-hmm. really, manufacturing, factories, and how rewarding is it to find an answer or a solution that is like extra french fries in the bottom of the bag. You know, you come up with this infrastructure, you come up with this solution for something the customer actually needed, and then there's an unintended benefit that is totally logical, but it just comes out of left field. How rewarding is that when that happens? Well, I think the the reward not comes only not only comes from the from the solution or unintended consequences it's also finding kind of like you know there's this issue something called product delight you pick up a product that you like and there's a delight about using it and i think that hidden delight in a solution that we never intended and i'll i'll give you an example of something that's happened recently uh, we installed this environmental monitoring devices at a, a medical device company and they used it and they use and they have a typical issue uh, our machines are very susceptible to environmental changes and they used to have all kinds of issues and people will go in and have to reset the machine and all that other stuff. And the person who helped us implement it turned came and said, look, we've been measuring, you know, the things that happen on the machines and something really wonderful happened. We're like, oh, you know, typical stuff, some technology things. Oh, you solved this problem. They said, no, no, no. The whole factory, we walk roughly, roughly four miles less to the machines. It's a huge facility and the people who are employed don't have to go to the machines anymore because they get an SMS message to know what's happening on the machines remotely. So they're walking four miles less. Now, if you say that on, in a day, what are people walk roughly four to five miles an hour? So you're saving an hour of people's time in a day, which in a day's kind of concept doesn't mean much. But when you extrapolate that to a year or a couple of years, this whole thing where we essentially put a device that just tells you if something goes wrong has this unintended consequence that is actually saving all this time uh, for the customer that it can then use for more productive services. So I think, you know, if I if if if, if I'm hitting the right answer for you, the the sometimes the the delight is that like I had no idea this was going to happen. You know, we just started with a simple idea, and now there's this other things that happen at the organization that solves potentially some other issues for them because it allocates time for them to dedicate to other things. And I think those are the things that sometimes you know we go back, we close the door, we high five each other kind of unintentionally, I guess. So. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you taking the time today. This I, I always uh, love having an opportunity to talk about the Internet of Things, and I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day trying to solve the next big problem to have a conversation with me today. Today, I've had the pleasure of having a conversation with Milan Kosic. He's the Director of Proxy, the Global Product Strategy and Design Group for Hexagon Manufacturing Intelligence. Milan, thank you so much for taking the time today. This was really interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.